Hey everyone, welcome to the Microcast in Microcosm Community Call. This call is recorded live on Friday, July 22nd. On this week's call, we dive into my top three takeaways for athletes from my race at the Silver Rush 50 in Leadville, Colorado. We then migrate over to address the important question, was it really a bad run? Or was it the heat, hills, life stress, cumulative training fatigue, or something else? We talk about the importance of accentuating the positives in check-ins, even on bad days, and get into some tips for bringing more self-compassion into your training. We also talk about taper science with the goal of normalizing the off feelings athletes often get during taper periods. The big takeaway here is trust your training and trust your plan. I hope you enjoyed this episode, and as usual, if you have any feedback, a question for a future call, or are looking for support in your running journey, please visit us on the web at microcosm-coaching.com or contact us at microcosmcoaching at gmail.com. Great. All right. Um, yeah. Well, got some topics for today, uh, including talking about bad runs and tapering. Um, I like these topics, actually, and I don't think we've We've probably addressed bad runs a little bit at some point in the past. Um, I know we've not really talking talked about tapering at all. Um, so I am pretty excited for that. Um, I did want to start off a little bit talking about civil. So uh, I am obviously really tired this week. Sorry. It's I do major Friday vibes over here. I need an extra day off this week. Um, <laughs> So I, I do want to start off talking a little bit about uh, Silver Rush, which is a 50-mile race that I uh, participated in last week, two weekends ago now. Yeah, you're um, like already back into full-on high-volume training. Yeah. Recovered, right back to it. Well, physically recovered. Mentally, I am not, mentally, I'm not feeling it this week. I wonder if those things are connected. I bet they are. <laughs> Hypothesis. Yeah. Oh my <laughs> God. Um, yeah. I'm really feeling the six day work week deal this week. Um, it's a big struggle. Sorry for, to my athletes. Uh, I love you guys. I'm doing my absolute best right now. Um, so yeah, that race, I, I want to talk about it. I don't love talking about myself uh and my races but i did think that there was some stuff that is important to all of you um that i kind of got out of the effort um yeah the, the first thing is uh so i as i think many of you guys know i'm training for ccc uh which is probably the most competitive 100k on the planet um that's been my primary focus all year and it's in about four or five weeks um, so silver rush was like what I like to call like a B race. It's a, it's a big race, but it has a purpose beyond like that race itself. Um, and so for me, that the silver rush was all about getting like a long, um, kind of moderate effort on the legs, um, before kind of going into, uh, some really specific training for CCC, which is what I'm doing right now. Um, and I know a lot of athletes are always, and we're talking about like sustainable goals and how to set appropriate goals and how to kind of bridge the gap between like these big dream races. Like for me, CCC, 
four or five years ago was like my big dream race. And now, you know, it's something that is going to be coming to reality very soon. Um, and so I've always found for myself and for the athletes that I coach that having kind of intermediate goals, goals that help bridge the gap between where you're at right now and where your big dream goal is um, really important for sustainability and success at the, um, yeah, at that big dream goal. Um, I love talking about like dreaming big and going for it. Um, but, you know, the science tells us and the research really backs this up that if you stretch too far and your goal is too far out of reach, um, it's one, it's very hard to motivate for the training. And two, it's actually really hard to achieve that goal. So we need to have goals that help bridge that gap because the best goals for everybody are goals that are just outside of our comfort zone, that are just challenging enough to keep us engaged in the training process, to keep us moving forward on the actual like day of the event, but aren't so far out of reach that they feel really overwhelming. Um, so that was kind of what Silver Rush was for me this year, was just kind of like helping to bridge that gap. Um, and this is something that I think is important for everybody because I want you guys to have those intermediate goals that help bridge the gap between, you know, where you're at today and what you need to have accomplished training and racing wise and experience wise to go for like that huge goal. Um, I know I see like some of my athletes on the call. Um, many of you guys have been doing this. Um, so super proud of you guys for that. Cause I think it's really, really vital to having success and longevity. Um, yeah, the other thing, um, coming into silver rush, I had a DNF at a race coming into this one. So, you know, performance goals, my, my one performance goal was to have a good, um, a good race mentally. And I think this is another thing that I, I really like my athletes to focus on um, is to not be uh, too beholden to the numbers, like sp very specific like outcomes, but to think more in terms of like process. Um, and so for me, like the big process and kind of, and I think through that performance goal was to have a balanced race mentally, to feel very positive, even through the hard moments. Um, and to use that as kind of like this race day dress rehearsal type scenario for CCC. Um, yeah, was fortunate to feel pretty good about that. Yeah, we were hanging out at the finish line with a gal named Courtney DeWalter after the race. Um, and she had been like hanging out with us at a couple of the, or hanging out with me at a couple of the aid stations. Her partner, Kevin, was running. Um, at the finish line, the only question she had for TJ was, did you have fun? That was all that Courtney DeWalter really wanted to know about TJ's race. Um, and <laughs> yeah. we decided that TJ set a fun PR for this race and that mentally he came out of it feeling the most balanced, the most excited and kind of like in a really positive um, place that was a lot more focused on how he felt than what necessarily like the numbers were and trying to like, I don't know, overthink the race too much. He just like allowed himself to really feel like, did I have fun? Yeah, I did. Um, and I thought it was really telling that that was what um, the greatest athlete of all time wanted to know about TJ's race. 
Yeah. And it's, I think it's interesting just to take that a step further. We were at hard rock over the weekend um, and got to hang out with Courtney a little bit and then spectate her uh, during the race. And like, that was clearly, you know, one of her own goals yeah. for hard rock, which is, you know, one of the toughest races on the planet. And for somebody who is very, I think it's you know, gotta be like, I can't believe people do that race. It blows my mind. Yeah. I mean, it's just nuts. The terrain, the elevation, all of that. Um, but you could tell that she was just really focused on having a good time. And we talk a lot about like the joy factor here in racing uh, and training too. I mean, it's performance enhancing. It like really it really, is. like we don't just say it to be like, woohoo, nothing matters. You might as well have, like, if you're going to suck, you might as well have fun. It's like, no, if you want to get good, figure out how to have fun at this. That is the most fundamental thing. Like when you see Killian out there, like the dude is having fun. When you see Courtney out there, like racing, you know, hours below the female course record, the way she's able to do that is because she's able to prioritize having fun and enjoyment. And that like, that is a part of high performance that is fundamental to high performance. It's fundamental, but it is, I think personally for me, something that's difficult to achieve given yeah, I mean, my background. Easy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and just how, you know, I've been an athlete my whole life, very competitive, um, nationally ranked in other sports. Um, you know, whole, it's a, it's a whole thing. And, and your upbringing has a lot to do with how you totally. approach this stuff. Yeah. And I think like, I have an issue, like as someone that did not thrive in youth sports, like I'm a very fun focused person, but I'm also very performance or like, I'm not like, I'm very competitive and I like to have fun. Being competitive is fun for me. Those things are the same and our youth sport culture unfortunately loses sight of the fact that fun is elemental in performance and it's elemental in figuring out how to be intrinsically motivated instead of extrinsically motivated and I think that you can almost tell like I can tell an athlete that grew up being in competitive youth sports because it's the person who will be like oh you know I did this run at you know 80 percent zone two and my cadence was this and I hit all these metrics and I'm like yeah but did you have fun and they're like uh 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 <laughs> like they they don't know like they've lost touch with how to even tell if they're having fun or not because they haven't ever been given the space to decide for themselves like what's fun what's fulfilling how does that drive them in the process Absolutely. And I think those are really important and still on this, on the topic of goal setting, um, you know, through the illustration of Silver Rush. But I think that when we take a step back and we think about our goals, are they goals that are going to, um, yeah, help to elicit that fun and joy factor? Are they going to set us up for training that's going to do that? Because I think a lot for, for myself, you know, training is training. Um, it's not always fun. It's probably fun. You know, maybe that rule of thirds, you know, it feels good and is fun about a third of the time. Um, and then a lot of the other two thirds, it's really work and, and yeah. dealing with mental stuff and uh, fatigue and, and trying to, you know, stay balanced. And yeah, something I tell my athletes is that training is not always going to be fast, fun and easy. But if it's never fast, fun and easy, then that's a problem. too. Yeah, I, for me personally, like, um, and this is something that I've really worked on. And I think you could attest to this, Zoe, like a lot the last couple of years, um, particularly like trying to bring that like fun factor into my long runs. 
Mm-hmm. Um, and just to finish my long runs feeling a lot more jazz than like just completely, I don't know, depleted Yeah, I mean, a couple of years ago, or... you would just go so hard on your long runs that you would just be like a lump. Like you wouldn't be able to drive. You wouldn't be able to eat. You wouldn't like be able to form complete sentences after your long runs. So we've really worked on like, how do we fuel long runs so that TJ doesn't become a sack of potatoes after like, how do we, how do we we eat a good breakfast before? How do we focus on hydration and electrolytes? How do we work on moderating effort and then finding routes that are more fun so that TJ is not just like doing, I don't know, like 16 miles at tempo effort. I wouldn't say tempo. The heat tends to get to me, but I think sometimes there are some things. And doing heat training so that you're more prepared yeah, for it too. Yeah, but there's a, and I was talking about uh, this with an athlete this week, uh, but the diminishing returns when we look for, you know, small um, percentages in our training, for example, something that, you know, I used to have a real hang up with was like carrying a lot of extra water because it's really heavy. And that makes me slower and I don't, you know, want to feel slow. Also, if you ever plan on doing a UTMB race, get used to carrying a shitload of stuff right now. Cause like, right. But that's not really the (laughs) The required gear. Sure. Sure. But that's not the point. The point, the point is that sometimes when we take a little bit better care of ourselves, when we step back, we don't look for, you know, how am I going to get an extra half a percent out of this run? One more percent out of this run. Um, you know, for me, that's like carrying the proper amount of fluids that enables me to finish feeling good. Uh, you know, when we do that, we finish feeling good. There's less focus on, you know, maybe the overall pace for that run or certain segments. And then, you know, it helps to perpetuate the process over time. Uh, and actually starts to build a lot more confidence. Like I had a lot more long run confidence going into Silver Rush, you know, I, I was dealing with the DNF and wondering how it would feel to work through tough moments at the race, but I never doubted that I could complete the distance. Um, and in the past, you know, I have had some of those doubts because I've had long runs that haven't gone quite as well because I have not been hydrating them um, the way that I should be. Because you were like, I don't want to carry those I don't eight ounces. Want, well, it's not eight ounces for me. It's several 16. pounds. Yeah. It's several pounds no, I know, extra I know, water. I know, but I think it's funny to dissect the thought of like, should I carry a pound of extra water or should I become pounds, extremely uh, dehydrated? Plural. Whatever. <laughs> yeah. But like still, like, well, you know, it's not that that weight isn't nothing, but like it is nothing compared to the act that dehydration is bad and will significantly decrease performance. Like again, carrying extra water, like that's a thing, definitely maybe not super PR friendly, but being like medically dehydrated, arguably worse 10 out of 10 times. I would, I would guess. Well, yes. And the point is we're trying to illustrate to you all that taking a step back and making sure that you're prepared for these runs can up the joy factor, can help perpetuate the process and leave you feeling more confident when you go into these races. Um, You know, big, the third kind of thing that I wanted to mention before we move on from this is um, directly related to that like hydration and fueling piece. Um, Earlier this year, I did a level in at-home sweat test and I did a fluid loss test. So I was able to determine 
exactly what my my needs were in the electrolyte and hydration department and through that knowledge um you know i took all of the guesswork out of my fueling um at least the hydration half of the fueling plan um and that made a significant difference um at silver rush you know i i usually air on the side of a little less, as you guys can obviously hear from, from what Zoe said. Um, and so this time I, you know, knew exactly what I needed, helped really to reinforce my process oriented goals and stay very focused in, you know, each hour, each hour, what I needed to do. And even though like there was a couple moments during the race where like some things happened in the fueling area that weren't planned, I still was able to like go to an aid station, assess like what they had, how much sodium I could get from those things and still nail like what I needed every hour. And then, you know, for me, things that start to happen high, like high heart rate, uh, higher breath rate and side stitches really start to happen for me when I don't take in enough sodium. I didn't have any of those issues during the race because I really was able to execute at a higher level on um, taking that guesswork out. So I would recommend for all of you guys take a level in at home sweat test. They're, they're not cheap, uh, but having that information, that knowledge is power. Um, Being I would hospitalized really for rhabdo, also not cheap. Right. But again, that's, you know, I think I, yeah, <laughs> I would just say like to the extreme sure, here. sure, sure. But I think that as someone who currently has the level and test sitting on her desk and needs to get her button gear and do it, we've seen a lot of athletes who are struggling with fueling in one way or another, who like weren't able to figure out like why they couldn't digest stuff or like what they should be getting in, or like athletes who were really, really struggling in the heat, who really struggled with hydration, who felt like they couldn't catch up after their long runs or workouts. Um, being able to specifically dial in that sodium intake and that water intake has really been transformative for athletes. Don't use the Gatorade sweat test. It doesn't work. Yeah. Having that specific number. And then, so what I've been doing is I, I, I take Morton um, and scratch, and that gets me very close to, um, I need like approximately 800 milligrams of sodium an hour to get 70 five, 80% of my, depending on the altitude. Um, and so then I can just get like that little bit extra with those, um, those S caps. So it's like, boom, right there, like dialing it in every single hour. Um, I found that to be really effective and it has worked really well in my long runs, like leading up to silver rush. So I recommend to all of you guys, like the number one takeaway um, on the fueling side of things is like, know what you need. Uh, the other way to figure it out is trial and error. And you can eliminate months of trial and error by just taking the sweat test and investing a little bit of money upfront um, in your fueling needs. Yeah, huge fans. Yeah, game game changer. And um, I'll have to thank Coach Kylie. I've already thanked her numerous times, but she really pushed for all of us on this team to do that test earlier um, in the spring when we talked about fueling for summer and stuff like that. Um, Levelin sweat test. Take it. Know what you need. Yeah, let's uh, let's start to get into the other parts of this call. Um, 
Yeah, sweat tests and <laughs> hydration might directly relate to this, uh, to the topics for today. Um, so we've got like a mental training topic and this is one that I think we've kind of been flirting with a little bit all year, but like, was it really a bad run? Question mark. Um, what might contribute to a bad run? Why do we often highlight the negatives in our training logs up front and forget about the positives? Um, what are kind of some of the things going on here? Um, and how do we like really evaluate whether our runs were, were bad or not? What, who, who wants to start this one off? I think just to speak to part of it, I think a lot, you know, I'm typically a pretty positive person, but I think myself included in this, some of us can reach towards those negatives because we sense that that's where a lot of the learning is to be had. We just don't take that additional step of like identifying like, oh, it was really hot and turning that into positive, actionable change. It was really hot, therefore I can improve on my hydration or I felt really fatigued, I felt really tired, therefore I can improve on moderating my effort to slow down and keep it truly easy. Um, and I think that that's something that like, if you're gonna write something negative about how a run felt, like what is that actionable step? Like what's that next thing you can do to transform like legitimate concern? Like, oh, it was hot, it was steep, I felt slow, whatever it was, what is the positive action that you can take from that? What is the learning? Cause if you're just sitting in the like, oh, this sucks and like self-pity, that's not super useful. And we really try to use the log as a tool for reflection and learning. So I always like to ask athletes how they can learn from what they're feeling. And like, it's fine to feel things. Like I always wanna validate like what you're, you're like, yeah, this is a really hard run. You were tired, like all of that's super real. What do we learn from that? What can we do better in the future? How do we transform this into better training down the road? Yeah, that was nice, like Zoe. Too, Thank you. If, Zoe makes a lot of sense, but sometimes it concerns me when I have athletes come to me after what could be like a great week of training and then there's like one run where they don't feel good or they just feel slow or heavy or, or have to stop early or whatever the reason is and then getting like overly worked up or overly concerned about one bad race like guys if you are not a bad race excuse me a bad run if you are running because you think that every day is going to be a great day because this is like so easy and running is the easiest sport in the world um you're wrong like that that's not going to happen there's going to be hard days there's going to be bad days um and it's kind of I guess going through the checklist and, and asking yourself those questions, kind of like Zoe was talking about, trying to figure out what went wrong, analyze and, and maybe do better for the next time. But sometimes it's just not your day. Like sometimes I've woken up in, in the morning and could tell like immediately, like, oh man, I'm gonna run today, but it's gonna be, it's gonna be a tough one. I just feel like it's gonna be a tough one. Um, I'm sure all of you have too, um, but then not, not dwelling on it, trying to get over it and, and move on to the next day as fast as possible, I think is, is important. Yeah, I always think about like whenever I have a bad run, trying to put as many hours of sleep and as many calories between the bad run and my future self as possible. So like for me, particularly Thursdays are tough because like it's, you know, the end of a long week at work. I usually do pretty big workouts on Wednesdays and the fitter I've gotten, the more recovery I need from my workouts. So the faster I run my workouts, the more I really need to slow down my Thursday shuffle runs. Um, so like, I just anticipate that Thursday is like, I really got to just be 
present with the effort. And that effort is typically going to be pretty, pretty dang chill. I really have to intentionally slow it down. And it often doesn't feel that great. And sometimes it's a learning, like if it feels truly awful, it's like, all right, so you probably overcooked that workout. Like if you're really struggling on this Thursday run, we might need to slow down the workout and you have to learn that lesson the hard way, like 24 hours later. Um, but that's still a really good message to receive. Um, but you know, after that, like maybe I'm feeling like I need a little more sleep or a little more food. I think about just trying to take as like, I, again, identifying like, why did I feel fatigued? Do I need extra meditation today? Do I need to check in with my therapist? Do I need to talk something through with TJ that was weighing on me? Do I need to make sure I get an extra slice of pizza at dinner? Do I need to just say, Hey, TJ, we're going to bed at eight 30 tonight. You know, like got to get those, got to get that extra hour in whatever way possible. I think that's really important. It always reminds me of what coach Drew said um, way back, but it's what you do, you know, after your run, that's really preparation for your next run. And so when we think about recovery as preparation, um, that can sometimes help to move us forward. Rather recovery sometimes to me is like lingering in the like, what just happened on that run. Oh, it didn't go well. I'm recovering from it mentally recovering. I'm trying to take in calories recovering, um, rather than being like, you know, I'm moving forward. I'm preparing for my next effort. I'm going to do as much as I can between now and, you know, whenever my next big run is to set myself up for success. I think sometimes, not sometimes every week, every day, um, as a coach, you know, I, I, I see athletes, who are uh, accentuating the negatives and getting down on themselves um, about their runs, who are um, really wallowing in it and overthinking it and going on and on. Overthinking, and not a performance <laughs> enhancer. We talked about performance enhancers and we know what they are, right? Like fun, joy, smiling, uh, positivity. It's the same thing in your training log. And when I have athletes who um, kind of over accentuate the negative or are too hard on themselves and it's not productive. Self-compassion, also a performance enhancer. Absolutely. absolutely. And again, we're not just saying it because we're warm, fuzzy, touchy, feely, Brene Brown reading millennials over here. Like this is stuff that like in the data, in the research is shown to be performance enhancing. Yeah, and it's important to be to be mindful of that. I know for myself, uh, many many athletes, um, especially male athletes, it's predominant to think that the best way forward is to be hard on yourself, to motivate yourself through, uh, you know, self criticism and things like that. Um, but that really does not help to perpetuate the process. That's a that's a waste of energy, a, a very finite resource. Um, how much capacity do you have mentally to go through these things? Uh, we all have a limited capacity for that. So what we need to do is accentuate the positive. Um, something I like my athletes to really focus on is putting the positive up front in the training log. I don't care how small it is. The first thing you should mention in your training log is the positive from the run. Um, then what you can work on. And if something really went sideways, you can mention that too, but it needs to be in a self-compassionate, full of, of grace, very, um, I think, a, a moment with less emotion where you can step back and look at something 
realistically for what it is rather than a point of reference or comparison. Something I've worked on in my own log with my coach is saying like, the story I'm telling myself about this run is, because that way I can still validate how I'm feeling and we can work through deconstructing that narrative together. Because like your feelings and emotions are still valid, but saying, oh, I feel slow. I am slow. I'm a bad athlete. That's not super helpful for your coach. What is helpful is like, hey, here's what I'm, here's the story I'm telling myself. How do we work together to build a better, more powerful or more logical narrative? Totally. Um, yeah. So I know um, maybe just on the topic of building those narratives, we could pass it to Sarah. Um, maybe she has some tips for helping to build that narrative um, and maybe turning things from negative to, to positive, accentuating that positive. Yeah, well, first I um, wanna say like really using the log as a tool, like um, containment is a really great thing. So you do your run, you process it, you put it in the log and then that's it. It's over, it's done. We're moving on to the next thing. So really using that time and space in your log as sort of like a, a like when you're done and you um, save, like you're not thinking about that run anymore, you're moving forward. Um, so, and then also using that log, looking at those check-ins on sleep and physical and fatigue and seeing if like that might answer some questions about why the run didn't feel so well. Um, so uh, yeah, I just think the log is such a really great tool if we look at it with intention and you know, you're not just quickly filling it out, but you're looking for patterns and you're you're using it it's you're using that time and space to fill it out as gaining awareness um and not just filling us in which is only part of what's happening there um so in terms of changing your mindset um you know so i think one thing with especially with bad runs like we get um stuck with comparison and, and um, the wrong expectations or unrealistic expectations. So really trying to check those things. So, um, you know, focusing on effort instead of pace, like not think, not comparing yourself to other people or comparing this run to past runs, but really focusing on the run itself. Um, and then, um, so with, um, when you have like a negative thought that you're, struggling with so if you've got your some story that you're telling yourself like zoe said about this run uh i like we play scientists with it um or like play judge with it so what is the uh if you're trying to convince me that this is real give me the facts so what tells you that this was a bad run well i felt lousy right or it was hard okay what uh what would the opposition say what are the arguments against this right what would tell us that it's a good run um and then by just by thinking about the pros and cons or thinking about both sides and having to challenge yourself a little bit you can come to a more mindful conclusion or more um a less emotionally charged conclusion and one that has a little bit of that like um other part of your brain, the thinking part of your brain gets engaged a little bit because like TJ said, you know, we're so prone to that negative um, and it's easy to just spiral and focus on that. So by asking yourself to 
have counter arguments, you are just necessarily stopping that that spiral. You're putting a stop there and you're making the brain just switch. Um, and you can actually convince yourself if you spend some time doing it. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's definitely a tool or a technique that I, I use a lot, um, you know, coming from that, you know, hyper self-critical, um, very strong inner critic place um, and gradually over many years in a lot of very hard inner work, getting to more of that self-compassion approach, um, having kind of like that pragmatic, just internal dialogue has been really, really helpful for me. Um, and I really like having like little checklists, um, mental checklists, kind of like, um, you know, I think Sarah, you, you did a post on social media about like, what is really a bad run? And then asking yourself, like, was it hot? Was it hilly? Uh, you know, did you have stress coming into that run? Were you under fuel? Did you not sleep well? Was it windy? Was there cumulative fatigue from early in the training block? Um, and like having like these little things that like cue me in and remember, it's like, oh yeah, well, like, duh, yesterday I did like that really hard workout. And so like, of course today should feel like not that great. Um, or like, yeah, I haven't been sleeping well. And like, that's, you know, why my, my runs are like not feeling as good this week. Um, and just having that like list in your head, like on a, you know, on a sticky note next to your computer that you can look at when you go into your log, um, whatever little reminder you need to kind of go through that checklist, especially in summer, especially right now when every run is really hot and where we live also some reason really humid too. It's like, wow, well, like what is going on? Somewhat humid. I mean, 50% apologies to my Arkansans, 50% humidity here. It feels like a lot. Yeah. Um, Yes, Megan's it's not stifling 90% humidity uh, for our Arkansians, <laughs> but. Um, Drew's currently probably wearing swim trunks just out of frame. <laughs> he might be in the pool doing this He's call in right the now. pool. <laughs> <laughs> um, I do think it's important to have those checklists. Um, something that really uh, gets under my skin as a coach is the athlete who just goes on and on and on about negatives to the detriment of their own mental health, to the, just to the perpetual growth of the plan and the training um, like coach Drew said, like you have a bad run and that's okay. Uh, you know, maybe a third of your runs are going to feel not that great. And that's really normal. And just accepting that and moving on as quickly as possible is so important. Even if it's a race, even if it's a long run, even if it's your workout, um, you know, something that I just, at the end of a long week, I'm just like, oh my God, another check-in like this. You, you know, we really need to put the positives first, especially, you know, some individuals, we need to develop self-awareness around what we're writing in the training log. If we're negative every single day, that to me is a direct reflection of your internal dialogue, which really needs to be examined. We can go back to using our inner coach and start with self-compassion, maybe grabbing Kristen Neff's self-compassion workbook and all of this. Huge fan. Yeah. Like as someone that I, you know, I think you mentioned like 
this can be a particular struggle for men. I will say like, as a woman, as someone that coaches a lot of really high achieving women, the things I've seen, like my super moms, my like women who are really like holding it down at home and at work and in training and like really showing like those, I think I've, I think something that's blown me away is how some of the most kind and inspirational people I know can be very hard on themselves. And if you're someone that struggles with that, um, make a practice and a habit of exploring the alternative. It, it, it takes discipline to be self-compassionate. It takes grit to be self-compassionate. It takes real mental toughness to be self-compassionate and it won't just happen. It is, it has been useful for me to work with a mental health professional and to do self-compassion meditations and to work through Kristen Neff's self-compassion workbook, which is something I've recommended to a lot of athletes who I see struggle with understanding the benefits of self-compassion. And I think a lot of folks think that they can shame themselves or like being mean to themselves to spur better performances or like they need it to have an edge and it's just not true. Um, and I think that that can be a really useful tool for folks. Um, and again, like it takes a lot of courage to believe that you can improve through self-compassion because that's not always a narrative our culture promotes. It is speaking from experience. Like I've never been tough, to a CrossFit gym that had yeah. a poster that was like, you are enough, just be kind to yourself. Oh my gosh, though, when you get to that place where you can do it and it's almost second nature or it is the predominant kind of way of thinking. It's it's totally life-changing, um, especially, you know, on race day, I would say, you know, internally, um, just going back to, to the mental uh, component to, you know, Silver Rush and other great races that I've, I've run, it's all about whether or not that healthy, self-compassionate dialogue, inner coach is working for me in that moment or not. And when that is going and it's second nature, everything else follows quite naturally. Um, So yeah, I would, I do want to hear a little bit from the other coaches and then we're, we're going to move on into the taper stuff, but uh, I'm curious, uh, Kristen, you know, you've been coming back from injury. You've had some scares this year. What are some of the things that you use? Like, what are your techniques? What's your method for working through tough runs through some of that adversity um, and getting back out there the next day? Like, what's your preparation like? What's your inner dialogue like? Um, Inner dialogue depends on the day, depends on the stress that I'm experiencing in life and work. But honestly, you know, one thing that I keep coming back to, especially on like tougher hard runs where there's a tempo component or like, you know, three by 20 minutes or something within it, within a long run that just like kind of gets you and you're like, oh, this feels way harder than it used to. Um, One thing that really helps me is just like staying grounded in the fact that like I am coming back from an injury. So I tell myself a lot, this is where I am right now, you know, and having the understanding that I won't always be in this place and that as I maintain consistency and build fitness, like I'm still stacking bricks and just keeping my, uh, my expectations managed. Because if I, if I go into a long run thinking like, 
oh, like this is going to be the fastest long run. I'm going to set all of the CRs on Strava. Or if I think too far ahead, like I'm training for OCC, which is like a huge goal for me too. Um, but with that coming back from injury, it's tough. Cause it's like, I want to do well, but I have only been training for like two months. So how well could I actually do? And just using every run as an opportunity to like bring forth the best version of myself on that day. So, you know, very similar to what you guys were saying, what to, to what Drew was saying earlier is it's, it's not always the same day to day. So being compassionate with myself and just reminding myself, you know, this is where I'm at right now. Tomorrow will be different. Um, has been really helpful. And then just remembering to foam roll. <laughs> <laughs> That's part You're of Kristen the healthy dialogue. <laughs> yeah. And I do, I do. Zoe, uh, recommended this. And I think I've been through this book like three different times in my like injury comeback. And I cannot recommend it enough. Like Zoe, this is like the best thing, best gift, like amazing. So yeah, definitely pick up one of those if you can, because it's been, I've like, I've probably recommended it to half my team. So it was something that like my therapist was like, Hey, it seems like you're really resistant to like actually figuring this out. How about you do a workbook for the next three months? And, um, it was really helpful. And like, I'm someone that hates journaling. I hate it. I write professionally. I hate the idea of writing and not getting paid for it. Like, it just feels like doing my job, but not making money off it. Um, but I've actually found the specific exercises in that workbook to be really, really helpful. And it helped me really deconstruct the narratives I had in my brain from like growing up in a culture where like, I was always taught that like being tough is like David Goggins, stay hard. And that being, beating yourself up is what actually makes you a better athlete, makes you a better writer. And it's just like, not, not true. Um, and like being able to put, like, see where I was telling, like where I got those stories from, where they were interrupting my thought patterns and like really figuring that stuff out and being forced to reckon with it, um, was super helpful for me. Yeah. I think if you really want to be the best version of yourself on any given day or in the long-term process of training to be a runner, being a, a human, you have to do that deep inner work. Um, if you're not doing that regularly, you're leaving out a huge component to this process. You know, I've mentioned it many times. I would say 50, 60% of this is mental. Uh, the other part is the physical part. Um, you know, what our, our perception of our reality, our perception of how our runs are going and how our training is going largely dictates you know, how well we're actually going to do. It dictates how much adaptation we're going to get from doing the work. Uh, If we think that, you know, we suck and our training sucks and we're not getting anything out of it. Yeah. You know, you're most likely not going to get much out of it. Um, And so we do have the power through that internal work, through a solid inner dialogue to change on, you know, kind of that, uh, yeah, that those perceptions. Yeah. And I think that like, again, like the the angle I try to take on this is like, it's normal. And like, you don't have to be like hundred percent Ted Lasso. Everything's great all the time. You're allowed to be like, yeah, this run freaking sucked or, but like, it's okay to feel like this run sucked where we start to run into problems is when you're like, this run sucked. I'm a sucky runner. I'm a bad athlete. I'm never going to get better. This is a waste of time. Like 
figure out how you can interrupt those thought spirals um, because that's when things get really counterproductive. You're allowed to have feelings. You're allowed to have negative emotions. Those are fine and normal and you're a person. Join the club. We have jackets. What you're not allowed to do is take a feeling and let that dictate an entire story about who you are. Somebody just pop in there. I, I thought I heard something. <laughs> All right. Let's talk a little bit about tapering. Yeah, sorry. I, I was just trying to add something. Oh. Get in there. Go for it. <laughs> sorry. The internet's pretty dicey. I was just trying to add to what Zoe was saying and that like, if you're constantly telling yourself that you're a sucky runner and that everything sucks, like, I think it's worth questioning, you know, like, are your, are your motivations external or like why why are you doing this and i i do think it's important as well to like you know like you don't need to win every race you don't need to be the star of the team you don't need to be on you, you don't need to be the, like the cover runner on a magazine what you need to do is to be the best version of yourself and see how far that takes you and I think that there's something really exciting about that because there's there's an unknown to that I, I don't know I if that was all like glitchy. I, I completely agree with that. I think that that's an awesome framing. Um, yeah, thank you. Let's, we'll leave, let's leave that as the last word on that because I think that there's a lot to digest and think about just in, in those terms of being your best self and not you know, using what you're doing here as an opportunity for comparison to others. Um, yes, thank you, Kristen. That was very insightful. All right, let's talk about tapers because tapering sometimes brings up a lot of self-doubt. It brings up uh, little niggles that weren't there. It makes us think about, um, yeah, maybe we haven't trained as hard as we should. All these feelings that happen when we're training regularly tend to happen to everybody when they're tapering. Um, so yeah, we, we did have a, a question just to talk about taper science and how much uh, you know should we taper before races and why? Um, you know, my biggest thing on this is there's no perfect or exact kind of taper. Um, often, it really depends on the individual athlete, their experience level, how much you as a coach have worked with that athlete in the past, and what they respond best to. Um, but there are a few keys to a good taper. Um, Zuri, are you with me here? There are a few keys to a good taper um, and some things that we have to focus on. Um, one of those things is maintaining muscle tension. Um, we don't wanna do so much during the taper period that we have muscle damage. Um, and then that affects our neuromuscular function on race day. Um, we want to make sure that we are giving ourselves enough space so that we go into these races mentally prepared as well. Um, and this, that is the same at all levels. Um, you have to maintain your muscle conditioning, but you don't want to overdo it. The consistency is really important for maintaining neuromuscular function overdoing it and muscle tension, overdoing it could reduce those things, uh, overdoing it could, um, you know, cause for a little bit less mental preparation. We want to be mentally fresh going into races. 
And then um, kind of that last component is if we don't do enough during the taper, we end up flat because what happens when we rest is our muscles have less tension um, and we need tension for running economy to run uh, more efficiently. To feel zippy, springy, poppy. Yeah. If you're too, like if you just take the week off before you try to run an ultra, you'll feel sluggy and you're, you'll actually have a decrease in blood volume too, which could leave you feeling fatigued. So I don't know if you guys as coaches have experienced this yet um, in your practices, but something that I've experienced a lot as a coach is newer athletes preparing for a big race. Um, they often go off plan and take way more rest days than they should um, and they lose confidence in the plan because previously what they've done in tapering is rest a lot before a race. I'll also see people do things like they'll have extra rest and lower volume and they'll be like, well, I did an eight hour hike or like I decided to walk for six hours. And it's like, that's not like a, that doesn't actually help with in terms of like producing good muscle tension and it will just make you feel like randomly fatigued with like zero benefit, zero adaptation. Like don't like less time running is not permission to like, you know, do a, a ton of biking or weightlifting. And like, for the love of God, don't do yard work on your taper week. Like I've seen a ridiculous number of races derailed by the fact that someone got really excited to like do a shit ton of yard work right before their a race don't do it it'll make you sore in so many random places just rest well do yard work after do the, the prescribed amount of rest yes. so something do the prescribed amount of rest something you know that always indicates to me as a coach whether an athlete truly trusts the plan and the coach is how they treat their taper. Do they go off plan during the taper and revert back to old habits or do they stick with the general structure and habits they've had throughout the entire build? Um, and so, you know, my general recommendation is always maintain the general structure and habits of a normal training week, even when tapering. Um, you know, some athletes need a little bit more volume race week than others. That helps to give them a mental edge. Uh, you know, helps them avoid self-doubt and things like that. Rather, other athletes, like, and I definitely fall into this pool, like, I like to do a really steep taper the week of the race because I need that extra mental space to feel equipped and ready on race day. And this is really different um, for everybody, but sticking with the general and, like, your similar structure habits, um, that's really the key to this. Um, even if you're doing less, even if you're being more consistent, but like lowering volume, uh, it's staying with your same habits. Do you stretch and roll after, you know, all of your runs? Okay, I'm going to do that this week. Do I do my runs caffeinated every day? Because that's what I still, you know, that's what I do regularly. Yes, I'm going to do that. Like not introducing new stuff, sticking with the same habits that you've always had. Um, and I think also, you know, when you're involved and in engaging in those habits daily, there's a confidence that comes from that, you know, knowing that you're executing on your plan. Um, few, you know, I guess like general things about tapers um, and it depends on the length of the race. Sometimes with big hundred mile builds, there might be a taper 
maybe starting three weeks out, but in general, most tapers are two weeks. Um, and in that like two weeks out from the race, we're thinking about maybe 15 to 30% reduction in volume. Um, there's still going to be a pretty, and it depends on the athlete, but I still like to do a pretty tough to moderate workout 10 days out from the race. I love the tempo. Uh, tempo, 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 effort, uh, hill work, um, something like that. That's very race specific. Um, not only can you still get the benefits of that workout, uh, 10 days, enough time to realize those adaptations. Um, but it can help to like boost confidence, retain muscle tension, help, uh, with, you know, neuromuscular function, all of that. Avoid steep downhills in the 10 days before races, because you can still be working through some muscle damage. So I always have like before those 10 days, like, especially like maybe two weeks, two, three weeks out from a bigger event or a steeper event, I have people run downhills really intentionally. And then the two long runs right before a big event, I'll be like, yo, this is not the time to get Cindy. We do not need to blow the legs up on this run. Yeah. And that's where kind of a focus on smoothness uh, is really important, particularly like for athletes who are doing longer races, you're going to have maybe, you know, 12 to 15 mile long run seven days out from your event. Um, this is why it's ideal to be on that Monday through Sunday plan, because you get that Saturday long run. That's exactly, you know, a week out from your race. And it's very easy to structure things like that. Um, makes a lot of sense. Um, but we definitely want to have some focus on those runs. But like Zoe said, we don't want to go so hard. We're just dam like we're just damaging the legs and then having trouble recovering. Um, you know, so have some, yeah, a little bit of restraint, but be smooth. For me, I like to like kind of practice like my race day execution, and I like to think about my process oriented goals on that last long run. You know, and for me, that's often like being efficient on the ups, being smooth on the downs, not running hard, running efficiently, um, thinking about things in those terms. Um, yeah, another thing that I often see taper week, um, athletes not running uh, their shakeout run the Friday before the race or the Saturday before the race and skipping it. Um, only in, I think, uh, situations where there's a lot, a lot of travel before on that Friday before the race, uh, should you be skipping your shakeout run, um, even 20 minutes, even 30 minutes, maybe if you're doing a steep race, you can throw in a few hill strides or fast strides, pickups, depending on like specifics, but we really don't want to skip that run. Um, it's really, really important. Again, so much of what we do is about consistency and the neuromuscular side that comes from that consistency, right? Like think about, um, reinforcing muscle memory, building muscle memory. When we do things, the more often we do them, they become second nature. So if we skip runs and we don't do the run before the race, we don't have an opportunity to go through that muscle memory again. Um, so that can leave you flat on race day. We want to really avoid that. Yeah. I, I like to do moderate hill strides the week of a race, like just chill, maybe 15 to 30 seconds, not all out effort, but just like some intentional smooth acceleration um, to help really promote that turnover, help people feel really sharp 
and stoked for race day. Yeah. So sometimes like uh, when you're in your taper period, uh, we get taper tantrums, little niggles come up and yes. things like that. Cause there's, you know, a reduction in, in volume, usually, you know, the week of a race, we're doing like 35, 50% less volume. Um, and so it's that leaves a lot of normal to feel bad and weird and off during your taper. Like for me, I always know like, oh, I'm going to feel great on race day when I feel weird during my taper. The important thing is to not make, to not say like, oh, I don't feel great. Therefore, I'm going to revert back to normal training volume in order to appeal to an emotional state as opposed to facing a physiological reality. Well, the other uh, thing that I actually see more often than that is the athlete just takes a bunch of extra rest days. Mm, I usually see people err on the other side. That's strange that we have a difference there. Considering most people are newer to the sport, newer people tend to do a little less and have a little harder time trusting the plan. But again, you know, there are so many different ways to react to like what we're feeling and what we don't want to do is react. Like we want to respond. I see a lot of multiple mile walks on taper weeks. And I would, I would say, stay off your feet. (laughs) Don't do yard work. You don't need to do big walks. I'm curious, uh, Sarah, if you've got any tips on just for athletes who maybe are experiencing some self-doubt during a taper week, maybe, you know, experiencing a few niggles or something like that. Like they're just kind of a little too in their bodies, in their own heads. How can we kind of, um, yeah, respond to what we're feeling, separate ourselves from that. And, and again, like realign with the plan and trust the plan. Don't buy any KT tape on race week, right? (laughs) That's like my inclination. That's at my taper thing. When an injury comes up, I'm like, maybe I need to buy, like last time it was a metatarsal pad. Like I'm going to buy a metatarsal pad like race week. And like, I didn't because I didn't react and I took some time and didn't, but you know, I, that, I think that's like a really common thing to do too, is like, how do I solve this problem? Do I take a leave early? You know, I'm, I'm reading too much into this nickel. Um, but yeah, so I think one thing that can be really helpful is to um, develop some rituals around race week that take your mind off of running and focus on preparation um, that you can control. So doing things like um, reviewing your Strava logs, prepping food for when you come back from your race. So stock in your freezer with really healthy, protein-rich um, foods. Uh, I really like to bake during race week. So I will make like the sweet potato cookies from um, Run Fast, Eat Slow. And then those are my road trip food. Um, so I like, that's a very, for me, that's, it, it, so the difference between a ritual and a routine is a routine is like a means to an ends, but a ritual, the means itself, the way that you're doing it is, helpful. So like the act of cooking is therapeutic, the taking the intention and saying, I'm nourishing myself. I'm fueling my body. I'm making these carb, um, these like delicious treats that are good for me for running. Like that's all taking care of myself and there's intention with it. And so that makes it a ritual. So I really like do a lot of that during my taper um, visualization. I do um, some reflection exercises and journaling. So some goal setting and thinking about what my training has looked like, what's gotten me to this place. So I think doing anything you can to not think about the runs you're not doing and really just focus on the other side of prep can be helpful. 
Absolutely. And I love the, the mental preparation, something that's really big for, for me and with my athletes. Um, thinking about, you know, taking some of that extra energy that you've got and like, not like over committing it, but just use a little bit of it to think about your why, uh, to visualize yourself, uh, working through challenges that might occur out there. Um, yeah, to do the pyramid, uh, Chelsea, you know, says that the pyramid with, that you post on social media, Sarah was really helpful for her. And I've seen that be really helpful for other athletes that I'm working with too. Um, I think particularly like if we go through that internal and visualization process before the race, um, it often equips us uh, to, to kind of like sink into those things uh, more responsively during the race itself. Um, and that's really the key um, is to have those tools available and then to use them in a, uh, in a response to what we're feeling during the race itself, rather than to start reacting um, because that's kind of when problem solving starts to break down. We have a lot more trouble with the challenges that occur out there. Um, yeah, I, I know we're kind of running out of time here, um, but I hope you guys found this, yeah, these two topics really um, helpful today. I know for, for me, taper weeks can be really challenging. Um, I often like have way more energy and then like a bunch of things feel really off. Yeah. Um, and so like, that's really, really normal. Don't um, panic. Don't panic. You know, I don't know, like you didn't just get an injury. Like it's so rare for one of those things to like actually affect the athlete at the race itself. Like I have always had like worse plantar pain during my taper or like my hip bothers me or like my IT band or something. Like, Don't get dry needles and don't go to the chiropractor okay. on taper a week. Good. Like, yeah. Thank that you, is Joey. not the time to be like, oh, I'll just have a rando adjust my hip. Like, don't do it. Yeah. Yeah. That don't, stuff is good. That it. stuff is good two weeks before the race. But again, you know, any adjustments, chiropractic adjustments, any massages, dry kneeling. Yeah, do not go ham with a massage. It all reduces muscle tension um, and it can cause soreness that you don't want on race day. Don't go crazy with your uh, Theragun either. Uh, or don't go ham on the foam roller. Like I've had people be like, oh, this little, like I had a little niggle or some tightness pop up during tapering. So then I foam rolled it and now it works really worse and it's swollen <laughs> just try to sit with what you're feeling externalize it'll be it fine. if you need to in the tapering is always a shit show it'll be fine awesome trust it yeah trust the that's when you have to really trust the process the most and i think like i often really like it when my athletes are like chomping at the bit for the start of that race um that means they've had like a really successful taper and they're mentally ready to get after it all right. Well, if you're racing this weekend, you can think about some of those things uh, today and uh, remember to dial in your electrolytes. <laughs> All right. Have a good weekend, everybody. Happy Friday. Yeah. Thanks. Thanks so much, coaches. Appreciate you guys. Bye.